Welcome to Leadership Matters, a podcast hosted by the University of Georgia's J.W. Fanning Institute for Leadership Development and the Small Business Development Center, Units of Public Service and Outreach. How many of you have changed your virtual background more times than your socks in the last 11 months? While this pandemic still has many of us at a distance, it certainly brought us to the same Zoom link more than ever before. And while we still have technical kinks to work out in communities with a better digital advantage than others, we've all had to move as fast as our interaction connections will allow to deliver programs and services remotely and lead our organizations through a computer screen. Is this virtual reality our new reality? And how can we continue to shift to meet this new level of bandwidth. I'm your host, Matt Bishop, director of the Fanning Institute. And my name is Molly Knight, continuing education specialist with the University of Georgia's Small Business Development Center, or SBDC, as you may hear us referenced. Molly, thanks for joining me today. Tell us a little bit more about your role with the SBDC. My role is to support our continuing education director, Kyle Hensel, in assisting our 18 centers across the state facilitate training for small business owners. My specific area of focus is assisting with training in the virtual space, assisting with the setup of Zoom webinars, online engagement for our participants, and support for our 18 field offices. Well, great, Molly. Uh, We're grateful to have you on this particular episode of Leadership Matters where we're discussing virtual leadership. We're continuing our roundtable conversation across Georgia on business recovery and community resilience and exploring the challenges faced by both public and private sector leadership while recalibrating and rediscovering our abilities to thrive in the places we call home. I'm excited for our audio roundtable of community leaders representing different parts of our state within each episode. So for this episode, we're asking ourselves, how do we make the best of virtual leadership? Molly, wanna share who we have with us today. Thank you, Matt. I'm grateful for such a wonderful panel of guests. With us today are Deborah Cottle, a small business owner headquartered in St. Mary's. Deborah is the owner and operator of retail store Cottle & Gun in downtown St. Mary's. Celebrating seven years this spring, Coddle & Gun offers the wares of local artisans, furniture, home decor, unique vintage items, and two paint lines. In 2020, Deborah expanded her retail store's offerings online and has experienced tremendous growth. In addition to e-commerce, her online presence includes weekly live painting tutorials and classes to the DIY customer. Coddle & Gun is a Georgia-grown shop and takes pride in offering Georgia-produced products. I'm also proud to say she is a client of the UGA SPDC, and you can read more about her success story on our website's blog. Next, we've got Laura Mathis. Laura is the Executive Director of the Middle Georgia Regional Commission, which is headquartered in Macon and serves 20 cities and 11 counties with local and regional initiatives. Prior to joining the Regional Commission in 2007, Laura served as the County Manager in Wilkinson County. Laura is the current Vice President of the Georgia Association of Regional Commissions and is a member of the Air Force Material Command Civic Leader Program, representing Robbins Air Force Base. The Middle Georgia Regional Commission provides assistance to local governments in the area of local government, economic development, planning, 
aging services, GIS technology services, and workforce development. Middle Georgia Regional Commission is one of 12 regional organizations in Georgia and serves a total population of nearly 500,000 residents. The Middle Georgia Regional Commission also provides administrative support to the Central Georgia Joint Development Authority, Middle Georgia Clean Air Coalition, and the Middle Georgia Regional Leadership Champions, which the Fanning Institute helps facilitate. And last, we've got Alex Villanueva. Alex, who is joining us in Atlanta. He has served as the president of the Hispanic Young Professionals and Entrepreneurs, HYPE, since September 2020. HYPE is a nonprofit division of the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, dedicated to serve as the main resource of Georgia's aspiring future leaders for young professionals ages 21 to 35. Their mission is to connect, develop, and empower young professionals and entrepreneurs through community, economic, and leadership opportunities. Outside of his volunteer service through HYPE, Alex is a senior in the cybersecurity technology consulting practice of Ernst & Young LLP. Since Alex started his career in cybersecurity during March 2020, he has a wide array of experiences working with clients in the financial services, education, quick service food, manufacturing, and media industries. Alex is also a graduate of the Cultivating Hispanic Leaders Institute, a partnership of the Fanning Institute and the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Well, thank you, Molly, and welcome, Alex, Laura, and Deborah. It's great to have you here with us to discuss our unique challenges and responses as community and business leaders and hear from your unique perspectives on community resiliency. Today, we're talking virtual leadership and fittingly, we're using Zoom to record this podcast. Molly, how are we looking? Well, we're looking at each other through a screen, which is where we've been looking at each other a lot lately. In March 2020, when sheltering in place became our ongoing business practice, Georgia's SBDC moved all of our continuing education courses to an online webinar format. Since then, we've conducted over 475 programs online and continue to do so now with new content for small business owners available online weekly. The benefit for our business owners is that they don't have to leave their business to receive this virtual assistance. In addition to our webinars, our one-on-one -on -one business consulting continues in a virtual format too, where our 50 business consultants from across the state meet with existing small business owners as well as aspiring small business owners in a Zoom format. Surprisingly, even though we all miss and prefer the in-person interaction with our clients and businesses, whether in the classroom or around a conference table, we have seen our numbers increase in the services we were able to shift online. What about you, Matt? How has Fanning responded to the virtual landscape? Well, as you know, our mission is to strengthen individuals, organizations, and communities through leadership development. So immediately, like you all at SBDC, we were faced with moving our existing programming to virtual formats. First, we adapted our community leadership program and youth leadership and action curricula to virtual formats so communities could continue those programs that were already underway when the pandemic started. And since then, we've continued to help communities shift their leadership training and strategic planning efforts online. And we've hosted and led hybrid efforts as well. To go along with that, the Institute has created new digital content where relevant discussions and even podcasts like this one 
are now available 24-7 on online platforms like Facebook and the Fanning website. And I'll echo you, Molly, nothing beats in person. I wish we were all sitting around a real-life table right now, but we've discovered that it can be done and will continue to be done in this new normal. Here at Fanning, our faculty has had to shift and still serve. We wouldn't be doing this podcast right now if it wasn't for our in-house faculty like Nina Johnson and Brendan Leahy, who co-chair our virtual leadership committee, and Dr. Brandy Walker, our resident expert who specializes in instructional design, technology, and community-engaged research, and oversees the Institute's curriculum, webinars, and online leadership training. One of our clients is here with us now who face an immediate shift in their regional leadership development program. In fact, Laura, I'll start with you. Why don't you recount the challenges we faced and where we are now with the Middle Georgia Regional Leadership Champions Program? Thanks, Matt, and thanks, Molly. So as you know, we launched the Middle Georgia Regional Leadership Champions Program in 2015 with the partnership with the Fanning Institute. So the class of 2020 marked our fifth program. And for our fifth program, we redesigned it. We um, expanded our sessions, added in some plans for panels that would bring in subject matter experts from across the region who are leaders in the region. And we would actually also move around the region going to different, different uh, counties in the region. That was a great plan, right? So we went to the retreat and you know how every class has its own vibe. They thought they were the best class ever. And they actually were because the retreat in an instant, they all gelled and connected. It was like they were old friends who had known each other for 20 years. And we left the retreat excited for the new format that we had, knowing that it was just going to work so well for this group's energy. Fast forward three weeks and we had our first monthly session. It went off without a hitch. It was like a reunion from the retreat. The energy was still very good. And we made a decision to do a session that we normally do late in the program, early in the session with peer consulting where they would bring a, a current leadership challenge that they were dealing with and share it in a very safe environment. And it works so well because of the energy of the group. Our session in March was canceled. That was an easy decision um, because everybody was sort of in that panic mode over the pandemic. And we couldn't see bringing everybody together and being able to really focus on anything. And then there was, of course, the shelter in place order. We also canceled our April and May sessions. Um, life was still just a little bit crazy. And I remember having the thought to myself, I don't wanna be the person who sends an email and people go, really lady, you expect us to continue doing a, a voluntary leadership program when life is insane. And we didn't really wanna seem out of touch with reality. And that we had to balance with our desire to honor the commitment that we had made and the commitment that the participants had made in signing up for the program. We did cancel the May session as well, but we decided that we wanted to do a check-in to just see how everybody was doing because they had all connected so well. And it was heartwarming to me to have that check-in session completely voluntary for them to pop in um, one afternoon and see how they were doing. And I, I gotta tell you, it affirmed our decision to cancel those sessions that we had done because some folks weren't able to go to work. Some people had to close their business. They were adjusting to remote work and distance learning for their kids. And some of our participants were busier than ever because of the type roles that they had. 
we had great participation in that virtual check-in session, which let us know that it was time for us to get back to try and return to the sessions. And they really expressed an interest in doing it. In June and July, I could not imagine doing a full day Zoom session. So we did baby steps. We had a half day session in June and July and they were good, but they weren't great. You know, it kind of left us a little scratchy that the class was missing out and they weren't getting that full experience that they would get if we were doing in-person. The content was still there, but that connection with each other was kind of struggling. So we actually did a check-in, sort of a asking all the members, the applicants to reaffirm their commitment to the program in July. And that was really to help us get, we knew we had to make a critical decision. Was it time just to suspend because participation was sort of lukewarm or should we just push forward and continue? And based on the feedback, we went, instead of canceling, <laughs> we did the exact opposite and we went to full day Zoom sessions and um, decided to finish the program and honor the commitment. So knowing that in August, if we had been in person going all around the region, we would have fed them breakfast and lunch and we would have done all of these other things to help them experience the region. So our first full day session was in August and we put together a little leadership program at home kit and they got all day snacks and they got stress balls and they got notepads, just trying to make it a special surprise for them. It worked out really well to get people engaged and they were, I think, a little surprised that they had gotten it. Probably one of the more interesting sessions we did virtually was when we had the reflective structure dialogue, the RSD session that we can include in our curriculum. And that was great because although it's not the same as doing the RSD in person, it actually was a little bit better because everybody being on Zoom camera, you could really see their expression and really, I felt like we could really connect more so than if we were sitting six feet across from each other at a table. But the class started to put the pressure on us to have that final session. Can't we get together one last time? Surely we can do it safely. And I thought about it and consulted with Brittany Adams-Pope, who's our faculty member from Fanning. And then after a really hard decision, we decided not to pursue doing it in person. I just didn't want to take the risk um, of people being uncomfortable or of people um, not being able to participate. So we proceeded with our, our final commissioning session. And since we hadn't had speakers throughout the program year, we decided to have a panel of regional leaders come to our final session, which really spoke to the class that these folks were interested in what they were doing. And we used, have always used the Visual Explorer tool as a way for participants to identify with an image and talk about their experience in the program. And since this year's class had been a little bit different, we decided to do something a little bit different. And for each person who graduated or who completed, we gave them an actual print of their picture that they selected in Visual Explorer. And they had to come by the office to pick them up. And the comments that I got back about the experience that they had through the program, even though it was virtual, have really been affirming to our decision about continuing. So we also had to get to a decision about what we would do because in November, we would have been recruiting um, the new class for 2021. And all of that time in 2020 was so challenging um, for us that I didn't feel like I could, in good faith, recruit another class in November, not knowing what 2021 was going to be like, and then need to put them on pause or have them not have that same experience. 
so we have delayed our recruitment for 2021 and are really trying to focus on alumni engagement because we do have five classes, over 120 people who've completed the program since it started. And it's an opportunity for us to help them reconnect. So it was definitely different than previous years, but I still think it was an awesome experience for the participants. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Laura. It sounds like you guys were very responsive to the needs of your participants and creative in meeting those needs. I am so glad that this program continues to grow, even amidst these strange times, because we need leadership development now more than ever. We also need small businesses to stay afloat. So let's shift gears a little bit. Deborah, you are a longtime SBDC client, and when things started shutting down, you faced not only an online move for your business, but a new business mindset too. So could you tell us a little more about Coddling Gun and what you found when you moved sales online? Thanks, Molly. Well, I um, own a very small shop in a small town in Georgia, St. Mary's. Primarily, we do furniture painting, furniture, large vintage items, and obviously, that wasn't going to fit in with virtual and online sales. So I had to kind of quickly think of how I was going to do things differently. And in having a conversation um, after many, many nights of tears and on my knees praying that my business would survive, I'm a single mom and I'm my only person to make a living. So I had a chat with a man and a good friend of mine who's an immigrant to this country. And he said the most profound thing to me that changed my outlook on the pandemic. And he simply said to me, if you want to make it, you will. And that's all he had to say to me. And the next morning I got up and I started thinking about it. And luckily through my relationship with the SBDC, I had already with my consultant transferred my business into Shopify. I already had the capability and the infrastructure ready to get my business online, but I was scared. And so he kept trying to push and I kept saying, no, I'm comfortable. I live my little life. I'm comfortable. But when that pandemic hit, I wasn't so comfortable. I was scared. And so one evening, shortly after that man said that profound thing to me, I got involved in a conversation with a good friend of mine and she's really good with computers. And I said, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. And I jokingly said to her, have you ever built a website? And she said, well, no, but I think I could. And I said, well, do you want to help me with that? And she said, sure. So literally within four days, the website was up and running. The first order came in and I was like doing cartwheels and I can't do a cartwheel, but I was doing cartwheels in my living room as this first order came in. Now I am positioned well for the pandemic because I am a DIY store. I sell two very good paint lines. And because everybody was sitting at home, what were they doing? They were painting their furniture. They were painting their cabinets. They were looking and saying, oh, I can't stand my, my you know, TV stand. I've got to do something with it. So I started quickly doing a lot more live tutorials on my Facebook page, on Instagram. I got it out there. I got the information out there and um, I quickly started selling online. It was unbelievable. The postman all of a sudden was bringing me stacks of boxes and I've got a whole shipping center now inside my store and I didn't ask for it, but it came, right? So then it was like, okay, now what do I do? I'm running out of stock. So I'm going, 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 going. And we finally got all that back stocked. And then the stay in place order came and for our county and I had to shut my doors. 
that was devastating to me because I am such an in-person person. I love my customers. I hug my customers. I've been to baptisms and funerals and wedding. I mean, that's who I am. And so first of all, I thought, wow, Monday I get to sleep in and I don't have to go to the store today. <laughs> but then all of a sudden I did porch pickups. So I said, okay, guys, the store is going to have to be closed. There's nothing we can do about that, but I'm still here to service you. And I'm still here to get the products to you. And I'm going to do that however I can do it. And so 9:45, I'm still in my pajamas and here start coming all the porch pickups. And I had put on my website that they would be ready within 30 minutes. So I'm like, well, I guess we're going to go downstairs. So I do live above my store. So it was kind of convenient. You know, I could go down in my pajamas. So I was in the store. I was closed, Molly, for five weeks. And I was in the store every single day fulfilling orders. I never didn't go to work. It was the same for me every single day. The other thing that I, I started to do virtually was that I allowed my, my customers to shop virtually with me. I would FaceTime them and I would walk through the store and show them the furniture that I had. And we furnished several homes during that time. I continued to paint furniture. I continued to sell them the things that I could not ship. So it, it worked really well for me. So much so that when the stay in place order was lifted and I was able to open, I did not open for almost two more weeks because my store was empty. There was nothing left in it. And so I had to like go back and start because I'm a one of a kind vintage store. I had to start picking again and I had to start getting out there and I had to still, you know, I had to feed my merchandise back up. It was crazy. So I think that it's been a really, really good experience. We also did some Facebook live events where we did kind of like an auction style where I would hold up an item and I would put a number associated with it. And this item number 41, it's a five gallon crock from the 1920s and it's $50. Say picked if you want it. Well, that went crazy too. So we just really tried to think outside the box on how we could still do business in a small town store, but do it virtually without contact with people. And I think that I wish I would have done it years ago, but this was all the timing for it. I'm in a um, military community. So my customer leaves every three years because they get shipped different places. And because of going online now, I'm retaining those customers. And now I'm shipping the products. And, you know, my online website now has over 500 items on it. And in many ways, the pandemic was a blessing for my business. I know that sounds crazy, but it just, it really was a blessing to allow my business to grow and to succeed in an area that I didn't think I had it in me to do. But Jordan from SPDC, he was always right. I had it in me. I was just scared to take the leap, but I took the leap. So I thank you all for having me today. Well, thank you, Deborah. Those are some really neat ways you've adapted your business. And glad to know that anybody can shop with you online or even in person. Let's talk about another success story now. And this time bragging on someone we've gotten to know through the Cultivating Hispanic Leaders Institute, which is a partnership between the Fanning Institute and the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And with us, who's already been introduced, of course, is Alex Villanueva. He also serves as president of HYPE, which stands for Hispanic Young Professionals and Entrepreneurs, which is an outgrowth of the Cultivating Hispanic Leaders Institute. 
Alex, tell us more about Hype and your role as the president. Yeah, well, first, thank you all for having me today. I'm really excited to be here on behalf of Hype. So my name is Alex Vanleva. I'm the president of Hype as of this past September. And Hype specifically, like we've already mentioned previously with Matt, we're a division of the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce founded by someone I consider a, a trailblazer and legend in the Atlanta community, Juanita Velez Bernal. So she created the organization in 2016. And the organization was actually created as part of Juanita's leadership challenge as part of the EJ Fanning Institute's leadership Chile program. And so for those who don't know like what this leadership challenge is, essentially it's a challenge within each of these cohorts that allows the participants to go a little bit outside of their comfort zone and allows them to push themselves to a level of discomfort in a sense so that they can ultimately grow. And so something that Juanita saw was that there was a lack in our community of Latinx millennial young leaders that were able to essentially have opportunities and exposure to other areas within our communities. And so like she noticed, many people in our state are either implants from other countries or states. And so what she did was ultimately create this organization called Hype. And it created something that we coined today, which is our Hype Familia, our Hype Family, which is something that radiates with the energy that we bring and we try to put out at each and every one of our Hype events. So Juanita, if you're listening, thank you so much for all you've done to create our organization. Specifically with Hype, so like we mentioned, we're trying to be or aspiring to be the main resource for Georgia's next young future leaders, ages 21 to 35. So this is a specific demographic to young professionals. Though we are Hispanic by name, while we are inclusive of all communities and allies that are willing to help advance the mission of our organization, which is something that we're extremely proud about as we welcome people of all walks of life and all backgrounds that are really trying to help us advance our mission. So as president, particularly, I help oversee the programming of all of our events, as well as essentially I'm an everyday ambassador of bridging people and communities together. Our leadership structure essentially consists of, of four different areas. So we have marketing, leadership development, which under leadership development is our entrepreneurship team and our leadership team, public policy, and our community events team. And specifically with our program, we have four unique areas that each of those teams help execute. So we have something that we call adulting one-on-one. So this is essentially the act of behaving or acting in a grown-up manner. So we always hear the word like I'm adulting or doing something that you typically don't understand as a, as a young professional. And we try to give our community those resources to help gain valuable skills and knowledge along their journey of growth. Another aspect we have is our think tank. So we partner with organizations that are essentially transformational for small and medium-sized businesses. Special shout out to the UGA SBDC because we've definitely done events in the past where they've helped our business owners ensure that they had access to resources and tools available to enable their businesses to grow ultimately and have strong economic impact. The third area we have is our hype series. So this is a special series that equips individuals for leadership advancement across all industries through a four-part series of experts that provide tools and resources on how to grow professionally. So we call this our premier leadership programming. And lastly, to round it off, we have our politically speaking, which during the pandemic, we've operated under a Instagram live programming. And essentially it helps hype members equip individuals for leadership advancement across all industries uh, through a personal and professional growing nonpartisan conversation in which we have conversations with individuals in our community, as well as leaders within the state capitol to educate our members on nonpartisan educational resources within the political realm of things. 
And so what we always like to do, we like to encourage everyone to keep up to date with Hype by following us on Instagram at HypeGHUC, Facebook and LinkedIn at Hispanic Professionals and Entrepreneurs. And if you have any questions regarding any of our membership or just want to connect with some individuals, feel free to email us at membership at IamHype.org. So Alex, with your background in cybersecurity and kind of talking about some of these things Hype is doing online, would you mind sharing just a little bit more about how y'all have kept momentum going in the virtual space and then any tips you have for our business leaders and everyone listening to keep our online community safe and just some things that we need to have top of mind in protecting our listening audiences. Definitely. And so uh, essentially, first, I want to give another shout out to our Chile team, Maritza and Terrence and the rest of the Chile team for helping pivot us through a virtual format. They've been amazing. When I was in my Chile program, we met once a month in a virtual setting and, and they essentially pivoted from in-person to completely virtual. So Congrats to them on the excellent job that they've done. Regarding hype, so I described the previous model of how we typically operate, but during the pandemic, we've operated under three specific pillars. So community, leadership development, and public policy. So community, we have virtual programming either through Zoom, Instagram Live, Facebook type format where we learn about other cultures, celebrate Latinx culture, and just have general fellowship with our members and neighboring communities. So this could be through virtual game nights, this could be through virtual movie nights, things along that nature to just bring the sense of community. From a leadership development perspective, we have a mix of professional and entrepreneurship development in which we have key speakers that can talk on a topic of interest to help grow individuals. So just last week, we actually featured Forrest Harper, who's the CEO of Inroads, just the largest nonprofit model for internships for minority professionals. And he essentially spoke to us on how we shift during our leadership during a time of a pandemic. And so within leadership development, we really try to focus on the big speakers that can provide great value to want to have somebody sit behind a screen for about an hour for public programming. And lastly, for public policy, like I mentioned before, we share nonpartisan educational resources. So on a biweekly basis, we have something called Politically Speaking Live on Instagram, where we essentially have a conversation with our public policy team and a person of the community or public policy team just goes on our live and educates on kind of what recent news is out there to provide resources to our teams. And so essentially, we've operated under this virtual model, and there's definitely been some cybersecurity considerations that we've had to adapt along the way. And so I think the two that people should really take into consideration are, are one, what platform are you using to communicate with your listening audiences? So you want to make sure that you're having measures in place to make sure that their personal information is safe and secure. So there's many instances out there, for example, I don't know if we have any gamers that are listening, but Twitch in 2015 was actually breached and they caused a lot of PII or personal identifiable information to be leaked of people. So when you think of PII, this is like your physical address, your phone number, government name, password, things that can essentially compromise your identity. And this was huge because obviously they have a huge following, huge virtual streaming platform. And so all of these individuals are put at risk. And so the first and most important thing is identify what platform you're using. Make sure that there's appropriate security measures in place. Do your research on the history of any types of security breaches that the platform has undergone. And then lastly, from a password professor perspective, I think it leads into a good segue in terms of how do you keep your, your important information confidential? So for organizations like Hypes or organizations like any type of organization you use a cloud type system to store their information, you want to make sure that there's appropriate restrictions so that your passwords or personal information isn't 
essentially compromised. And so what Hype identified was that we had some of that information earlier on in the pandemic. And because of what we saw of different breaches within all over the world, that we've essentially taken all of that down. And we use something called LastPass, which is a mobile-friendly iOS and Android uh, application that essentially allows you to store and exchange password information with members in your organizations. And so what I suggest to everyone is to keep your business and personal emails kind of separate so that in the event of a compromise, you're not fully at risk. And with those factors in mind, I think organizations can move forward safely and securely. Thanks so much for sharing those tips, Alex. Um, it's something that's super important as we're kind of moving into this virtual world. We're using more and more platforms more and more often. So Deborah, as a business owner, I know you've had success with Facebook Live videos. Any other lessons that you've learned that you could share with us about putting your products out there on a global market in a virtual space, as opposed to the past just being in a local storefront? So Molly, um, I started the Facebook Live um, creating with Coddle. It's every Thursday night at eight o'clock about two and a half years ago. And I do think that that really positioned me well with my clients and my customers to take care of me because people like to do business with people that they know and they trust. And I come into their living rooms or wherever every Thursday night teaching them something. So I think that did set the groundwork definitely for success as I pivoted online. I think one of the hardest things for a small shop to go online is essentially now I own two stores. I own my brick and mortar and I own my online store. And that comes with a whole nother set of challenges that I've had to deal with. Before I would have a dozen bunches of tulips and they would sell in a week. And now I need a hundred of them online and they sell in an hour. So it's very difficult to try to balance that. And I think that's the one thing that moving forward that I continue to work on and as a business that is starting from the ground up with both brick and mortar or online or both, I think that's something that has been my biggest challenge is trying to just supply and demand and trying to determine what my customer is going to like. I might think it's the greatest thing and I sell one, but the thing I don't like that I only order one of, they want 500 of. So that's my biggest, has been definitely my biggest challenge, but it's still good. <laughs> it's always learning. Well, thank you, Deborah. Great points on supply and demand and operating in an online environment. Laura, at this point, I want to bring it back to you. We have to talk about rural broadband and rural internet. Looking at the counties the Regional Commission serves there in middle Georgia, uh, some of them are facing you know, pretty stark digital divides. Can you talk more about that? I sure can. Thanks, Matt. I can talk about it actually from two different perspectives. One from our leadership program as we we're figuring out, can we switch to a virtual program? We really had to take into consideration where their participants lived, what resources they might have available to them. Do they have the capacity from a technology standpoint to do a Zoom session that lasted all day? We had to get a little bit creative. So did they. Some folks had to go home because their work wouldn't allow them access to the Zoom information. Some had to go into work because they didn't have the ability with internet at home, but they could take care of it at work. And then we actually offered up our office space for participants to come here and be assigned a separate office where they could be safe, COVID safe, but just to give them the, any tool that they needed in order to fully participate in the program. I know for our workforce at the Regional Commission, we cover a lot of different counties, some real urban and some very rural. 
And we had those challenges as we switched to remote working as well. And in some cases had to send folks home with mobile hotspots in order for them to continue to be able to do that work. And, you know, our local governments, although they aren't necessarily listed on the list of essential services, they actually, not the whole local government, they actually are. You still need, want your trash picked up. You still want to be able to do your normal interactions with local government. So they've had to pivot and go online as much as they can because of the lack of technology or the slowness of internet or, or the cost of it or the availability of it. Some of our smaller communities, more rural communities, you wouldn't be able to tell that there was something going on in the universe like a pandemic, except for the fact that they're wearing masks because their city halls are open, their county courthouses are open, and they're doing the very best they can because going virtual isn't really an option for them. And, you know, for the past couple of years, the state of Georgia has been having ongoing conversations around broadband and rural broadband. And there was a state legislator one time who said, in my community, it's not, it's not about the speed. It's not about it being faster. It's about it being available. And I thought that was a really interesting comment that she made. So the state's really invested in, and I think the pandemic highlighted the disparity in internet availability across the state. And we've got a third of our local governments who are going through the process right now to really prepare for expansion of broadband and internet capabilities in their community through the Georgia Broadband Ready Program. They're just the first third. I feel confident that over the next 12 months, the other two thirds are going to want to do the same thing because this has shown us the importance of that asset to school, to work, to commerce, to everything. So it is very different, um, but I also wouldn't assume that just because you live in a big city, you have good internet. That's right, Laura, and thanks for that insight. And you're right, there's a lot going on that's going to expand access to rural broadband in the coming future. Of course, the title of this podcast is Leadership Matters. So you guys have shared some great examples of how you are leading in your own respective communities, regions, and businesses. But I want to ask you the question, where does leadership matter most, even if it's virtual? Why don't we start with Alex? Yes, I think from a leadership perspective of where it matters most, even if it's virtual, is showing that despite the circumstances that we're operating under, that you still have a passion to continue to provide the services or support to the community. And so one of the ways that we've done that particularly with Hype is that all of our programming right now is completely virtual and free. And so typically in a normal circumstance, we offer a specific price of admission to each of our events and we have a membership base with membership dollars. But since the pandemic, we've been just trying to help people survive, keep people afloat and support and show that when we do come back to in-person that we can offer even more than what we have before and allow people to essentially recover from anything that they've undergone throughout the pandemic. How about you, Deborah? Matt, I would agree with Alex. I think, um, you know, offering free things to your community, still things to do to get involved, whether it be to help other businesses learn from what you've done to kind of be the leader and say, hey, this worked for me. Maybe you should try this, you know, because not everybody sees things the same way and they may not have thought about doing a certain thing because I am so 
in touch with social media through Instagram and Facebook, I think that a lot of my fellow businesses here in town, they were not as versed in those areas of marketing. And so I think being able to help them has been really good and offering that free support to everyone. And then of course, Laura, could you weigh in on what leadership matters most? You know, I think for me, the leadership decision, particularly around our continuing our leadership program, was really trying to honor the commitment that the individuals had made to the program and Fanning had made to the program and the regional commission and our sponsor, George Power, had made to the program and realizing that we've got to sort of lean in and figure out a way to still honor that commitment, even though it might be different based on individual circumstances and really customizing the solution because you value what you're trying to do. And um, it was challenging because everybody had their own personal situations that they were dealing with. But I think recognizing that we're all, we were all going through the same thing, but experiencing it very differently and being sensitive to that, that was really an important leadership uh, moment for us. So through all three of your answers, I've kind of noticed a common theme of maybe a camaraderie that we haven't been experiencing before and really using the groups that we've got, whether it be our businesses, our organizations, our community as a whole. So I think our final question is taking what we've learned, what we've talked about today, how are your businesses, organizations, and communities moving forward? So whoever wants to start, I'll give y'all a pick of who wants to stake claim on first dibs. Uh, I, I can go ahead and start. So moving forward, we know businesses and communities are, are still impacted. And so actually, before the end of 2020, Hype actually had something called our Hype Grant. And so we were helping young professionals and entrepreneurs that essentially had a pivot during a pandemic. And so we partnered with the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce's Hispanic Small Business Relief Initiative in partnership with Primerica to help give away a $500 grant and hype membership to a young Latinx entrepreneur. And so we've essentially tried to think of programming and opportunities to help continue to provide support. And outside of that, I mentioned earlier during the overview of hype, our think tank series. So we're continuing to do programming to provide information and resources to help our businesses and our communities move forward despite the ever-growing changes and challenges that a pandemic is presenting to people. And so through our programming and grant opportunities, we want to continue to help people moving forward. Awesome. What about you, Deborah? I feel like we're still adapting, honestly. I feel like in our community, we still are pretty locked down. Our city is still not issuing you know, permits for gatherings and all of those kinds of things. So I think as a business leader in this town, I feel that it's my job to still kind of take that temperature reading on what people want and what they need. So we're still doing porch pickups for people that are wanting to not come in the store. We just started doing Zoom classes, which is completely out of my wheelhouse, but I'm doing it now. So we're still just trying to adapt, you know, and I think that the businesses that continue to adapt will be the businesses that will succeed and will eventually get back to our new normal, whatever that may be. But I think we can all do it because it does really seem like we have that camaraderie now. It seems like everybody's working together really well in our small town to provide services and to still have a normal life. Thanks, Deborah. Adaptation is key. What about you, Laura? How is the Regional Commission helping communities move forward? Well, I'm going to focus on our regional leadership program. You know, my vision for the closing session this year 
in 2020 was to bring all of the alumni back for this fifth cohort. And obviously we didn't do that because you don't get 120 people together in a room, but I could certainly invite 120 people to a Zoom call and let everybody get to know each other a little bit better and share experiences and also give an opportunity as people who have had a very similar experience through the program to help us in figuring out how we continue to grow and evolve in years to come. So the sort of delay in getting started for 2021 is not a stop of the program at all. It's more of a, let's figure out different ways for us to move forward and really engage those people who've invested over the years. So I'm encouraged about sort of the opportunity that we have when I might not be able to get 120 people together, I can get them together virtually in March, which is great. Well, great. Laura and Deborah and Alex working together and adapting to the new normal, whatever that might be in the future. And there you have it, folks, for our latest episode of Leadership Matters, where we host our virtual roundtable conversation across Georgia on business recovery and community resilience, while exploring the challenges faced by both public and private sector leadership and recalibrating and rediscovering our abilities to thrive in the places we call home. I'm Matt Bishop and my co-host, Molly. I'm Molly Knight. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. You can learn more about the University of Georgia Small Business Development Center at Georgia, spelled out, sbdc.org. And look for new episodes of Leadership Matters, where I'll be joined again by the SBDC and a new roundtable of Georgia leaders from across the state. You can find this episode and future episodes, as well as additional podcasts produced by the JW Fanning Institute for Leadership Development on our website or wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search Fanning Institute. Thanks again, Molly, for being here, as well as our roundtable guest, Deborah Cottle of Cottle and Gunn, Laura Mathis of the Middle Georgia Regional Commission, and Alex Villanueva, president of the Hispanic Young Professionals and Entrepreneurs, also known as HYPE. You can also find more about the leadership programs and services of the JW Fanning Institute at fanning.uta.edu. The J.W. Fanning Institute for Leadership Development and Georgia's Small Business Development Center, units of public service and outreach at the University of Georgia. Learn more at outreach.uga.edu.